this uh, month uh, is, uh, for Christy and I, it's, our, it's 25 years here at Gateway, and um, it's always easy for me to remember how long we've been here because our firstborn was literally born the month that we came um, to Gateway, so all, I, and I always know how old he is, so as long as I know how old he is, I know how long I've been here, and my wife and I, we always had this thing, like when our kids were young, and for those of you who are parents, I'm sure you know what I mean, but there would be these days when, you know, when our kids were young, and maybe we'd be sitting in the on the deck and they'd be playing in the yard and having fun and, and we'd look at them and my wife would look at me and say, man, don't blink, right? Parents, you know, it's like, don't blink. Because you blink and five years has gone by, right? You blink and 10 years have gone by. You blink and 20 years have gone by. It's just, it feels like, I mean, I look back and think, I can't believe um, I've been here 25 years because it, it feels like, well, not yesterday, but maybe like five years ago because I, rem- I can remember like candidating here so so clearly like it was, Five years ago, and I've, you know, joked with you before, but it was like a huge thing for me. I, because I wasn't Gateway's first choice or their second choice or their third choice. I mean, I was their last, I was last on the list. And, uh, and that was okay. I knew eventually they would get on board with God's will and, and uh, hire me. But it was nerve wracking at the time because I, you know, I didn't know how long it was going to take them. And, uh, but it doesn't seem like that long ago. Um, I mean, I could tell you stories, but it just feels like yesterday, I can remember, like, just coming here. I'd only preached a couple of times in my life when I came to Gateway. And I remember, like, coming here at first and, and preaching on the weekends. I would wear a suit and a tie. I'd wear a three-piece suit and a tie. Like, I can remember. Oh, man. So there, Oh, yeah, there you go, man. Look at that. And there's something on my head. I don't know what that is. <laughs> right? Oh, that's beautiful. Look at that. I think that was a navy blue suit. It doesn't get any better than that. It's like, I can remember like preaching. So I remember, like I distinctly remember the weekend. I was like, I can't believe I'm the only person who wears a suit in this church. I don't know why I do it, but I was so, I just needed to be liked. And so I wore this suit. But I remember one weekend going, I just don't think, I can remember like not wearing the jacket. So the way I did it was, if you were here, you might remember, no, you don't remember. I, I remember, but I remember, I remember preaching and halfway through the service, it was so hot because we were next door. And I was like, man, do you guys mind if I just don't wear the jacket? And everybody's like clapping. So I took, next week I didn't wear a tie. Um, next, now look at what it's ended up as. I mean, it's like, um, I remember being next door, a little building, being in service. I remember having a discussion with the leadership going, we're full, what are we going to do? And so we, we added a second service. And it just doesn't seem like that long ago we were like, well, can we do it? Can we add a second service? And then we had to add a third service. So we did that on Saturday night. And that was crazy. Like I had people going Saturday night. That's crazy. God won't even show up to church on Saturday night. Like that's never going to work, you know? And then we had to add a fourth service. And then I remember we had to add a fifth service. Like I remember at one point um, we'd do two services on Saturday evening and we'd do three services. I can't remember. I think it was like 8, 30, 10, and like, uh, I don't know, what, a le- a noonish. we started the last service. I can't, I would go home after church on Sunday. I'd have dinner and I'd go to bed. <laughs> I'd just be so tired. And then we, we built this building and we built the building. We went back to three services. And I remember thinking like, oh, so awesome. Like only three services on the weekend. It was like so cool. But this building was something I can, uh, 
uh, when I came to Gateway, I, re- like, I remember being in an open forum kind of meeting with people like we did here recently with Gary. And I remember people asking me questions. And, and I remember the only thing I said I wouldn't do was, I said I will not be involved in a building program. Like I don't ever want to be involved in a church building a building. Like I don't want to do it. And then um, we got to the point where we had five services, and I remember this one time when the leadership were like, hey, we're going to have a meeting, you could come. And so I was like, yeah, that was great. And they didn't tell me basically it was an intervention because I was the only person who was a holdout for building a building. And they're like, you know, you need to grow up and, you know, get into the will of God, and we got to build a building. And so I didn't want to, but I agreed to it. And honestly, it just turned out to be one of the funnest experiences of my life, building this building was so much fun, and I, it was so surprising because um, I know so many guys, so many friends who have, built, have been involved in building projects. In fact, one of the kind of little dirty secrets of building projects is, in most building projects, two to three years after the building's done, the senior pastor leaves because it's just so difficult to go through, and it was so not difficult here. It was so much fun. In fact, I got to work a great big, huge backhoe and knock down a house. Like, how often do you get to do that? It was, but it just feels like yesterday uh, that we were, were doing all this, and over the years, I've been involved in, in, in the ministry trenches with some of you and done life with, with you and gotten to know you and fall in love with you as a congregation. We've served together. We've had gospel conversations together, and when I, when I first came to Gateway, the average length of stay for a senior pastor at a church was four and a half to five years. And I remember when I came here thinking how terrible that is that pastors would come and go so often. And I remember getting the question, you know, the typical question, how long do you plan on staying here? And my answer was typical. I was like, I don't know. I'll, I'll stay as long as God wants me to be here. I had no idea what that was. Um, 25 years later, it's still true that the average senior pastor only stays at a church five to four and a half years. And like I said, 25 years ago, I thought, what a, what a terrible, terrible thing. Now, to be honest, 25 years later, I, I've actually realized there are some benefits um, to leaving a church every five years or so to, to moving on. And I've, so I've, I've made a list of uh, some of the benefits of just moving on every five years. Uh, the first one is you only need a five-year inventory of sermons. That's all you need. And, you, and then when you leave, you can just start over again. I, for me, like, that's easy. That's a walk in the park. Luke alone takes half of that time. And so I hardly need any, any series at all. Uh, in fact, I've actually worked with, in the past, I worked with, with several other senior pastors at churches that, that literally did that. They would move every five years, and they would preach from the, like, from the same set of notes. But of course, this was years ago when pastors had to etch their sermons in stone. It was so long ago, and it was hard to change. So I would, I would watch pastors get up and preach with the same notes that they used five years earlier at their last church. They just changed some names and that kind of stuff. I mean, I was thinking the other day, I would have so much free time. Like, what would I do if I could just recycle sermons? So that's one. The other is, uh, number two, you can tell a story without being afraid you just told it before. Like, as a pastor, you only have so many good stories, and so you can recycle. Every five years, you can recycle your stories just in case nothing interesting ever happens to you again. You can just keep telling your stories. Now I say that because the irony is I'm going to tell you a story at the end of the sermon that I've told actually before. Um, Number three. Um, no one knew you when you had hair. So like, no one is like, remember when you had hair? Remember when you had a hairbrush? 
Remember when you used shampoo? Do you remember that? Remember that picture when you had hair on your head? Like, remember? No one does that. People just assume you were born bald, you've always been bald, and it's kind of awkward to bring up. So they don't ever do it. Like, nobody, nobody talks about it. Now, number four, it's huge, but you have to think about it a little bit. Another reason that it's good to move every five years is that uh, cats don't tend to relocate well. They just, it's like, so they don't. When, when uh, my wife and I moved here from Vancouver 25 years ago, we had a cat, and we moved here. It didn't move well. It, about a month afterwards, it was like, yeah, I can't take this. I'm gone. And we never saw the cat again. And then uh, we moved to another house, and, um, and that cat was good for a couple of months, and then it disappeared. It was gone. I mean, it seems like an expensive way to get rid of a cat, granted, but I'm just saying, it actually works. Uh, and then the fifth thing, the, the, the fifth reason that it's kind of beneficial to change every five years is if you, if you move every five years, it's really hard to get emotionally attached uh, to the people that you serve. 25 years creates a, a, a bond. It creates a, a love as a pastor that honestly can be pretty painful at times. I, when I first came here, I, I'd only been here a couple months and I had to do a funeral for somebody. Uh, in fact, I had to do a f- couple of funerals in those first six months. And I didn't even, I'd never even met the people before. So of course, you grieve for the family, but it's not like when it's somebody you've known for 25 years. It's not like when it's somebody that you've, you, you know, you've, you've grown to love. And, and, and one of the things I've noticed is that uh, after 25 years, when, when one of you is suffering, or when one of you gets a difficult diagnosis, or when one of you loses somebody who's dear to you, I feel that pain in a way that I never felt uh, 25 years ago. Uh, I kind of get why pastors move on. It becomes emotionally painful to stick around very long when you just fall in love with people in your church. Um, and we have, you know, on our staff, like we've got, we've got one guy on our staff who's just really a feeler. It's not me. He's really a feeler. He, he probably cries, you know, once a day at staff meetings. He cries over anything. I'm not going to say who it is. Um, his wife's sitting right over here, but I just, <laughs> he's, he's next door right now, right? <laughs> I'm, not, and I'm not like that. Uh, I'm really not, but I'll have to, but I would have to confess. Uh, I probably, I, I probably, I probably get a good cry in my office once a week, once a week. Because in a congregation the size that you're always getting news every week of somebody who's suffering or somebody who's, who's lost something and, and you feel it. It's, it's deep and it's painful and it's a good reason why guys move a lot. We're in Philippians. And Philippians is written by Paul. And Paul uh, was the spiritual father of this, this congregation, this church that was in the city of Philippi in Europe. And he had just fallen so much in love with these people. He loved them so dearly, so much. And last week, we looked at a, a couple of verses in Philippians uh, 1.3. I just want to read this to remind you of where we've been. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. He can only remember them now because he's in prison. He, he can't see them personally. Always in every prayer of mine for, for all of you making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Paul had, Paul had been in the, the trenches of ministry with these people. And he had been with them for a time. And he learned to love them. 
And he goes on, and we're going to look at just two verses this morning. He says this. It's right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you. This is key. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I, how I yearn for you all with the affection, with the love of, of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, praise we open your word this morning. I, I pray that you, would, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would teach us from your word. Something I, I cannot do this morning, but you can. So open the eyes of our heart this morning to, to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So every week I told you we're going to kind of boil all the sermons down to something to know and something to do. So I want to start off by the something to know. This is in your notes this morning. The something I want you to know is this, that, that God has given every one of us a community of believers. I'm just going to call it that roughly, a group of believers. And the reason he's given us those people, right, just in case there's confusion, why do I have believers in my life? What are they there for, right? Here's why they're there. So that you can love them with the affection of Jesus Christ. So we get confused sometimes about why we have relationships. We can get confused about why there are other people in our life. We can start to feel like it's all about me and focus on me. And so we're going to remember this morning that that's actually not true. That it's, it's about you loving them. It's about you sharing with them the love that God has given to you. That's the thing I want you to know. That includes the people in your oikos. So we use that word oikos a lot. Greek word, New Testament word, it means household. And the Greeks had this idea that every one of us had a, we had a household of people, not people who lived under your roof, but people you had close, influential, loving relationships with. And studies say that most of us have anywhere from 8 to 15 people with whom we have close, loving relationships. Why do you have those relationships? It's right there. So you can love them. That's why. So you can love them. Uh, hopefully most of us have kind of another layer of people around us that maybe aren't quite in the center, but still people that we, we rub up against, we have relationship, we work with, uh, and we have those in our lives so that we can love them as well. So Paul's going to talk to us about how he did this. How did, how did he love other people like he did? A couple things in our notes this morning we're going to notice in these two verses. First is, Paul says, you got to learn to hold on tight. Right? So you got to hold on tight to people. And this is really different than the way we tend to live in our culture today. Verse 7. This is right where he says it. Now it's right for me to feel this way about you. How does he feel about him? He loves them. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I, notice what he says, I hold you, I'm holding on to you literally in my heart. Now Paul is writing as a spiritual father to his children. Right? You remember the story from a few weeks ago. Uh, he had a vision. God said, go to Macedonia, go across to Europe, go to Philippi, Share the gospel. So that's what he does. He, he starts sharing the gospel and people come to Christ and they get baptized and they start a church and then, and then um, they go out and they start sharing Jesus with their families and, and where they work and those people are coming to Christ and the church is growing. So in a way, uh, at this point, everyone in the church literally is related to Paul spiritually. He's either their dad or their grandfather or their great-grandfather. He's writing to these, these people that he loves and, and after these people got saved, when Paul was there, they would get in the trenches of gospel ministry. They would feed people. They would, they would house people. They would share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with people. And they were in the trenches working together. And then it, at some point, Paul packs his bags and says, now, I need to go to another town and, and do what I did here. I need to tell them about Jesus. And when he moved, 
They packed some provisions for him, some food, and they sent him on his way. And they prayed for him every day, and they supported him financially, and uh, they even sent team members to be with him at times and to visit him and befriend him when he was in prison, go hang out with him. And that's really saying a lot because it's a lot easier for us. We, we can forget today how difficult it was to stay connected to someone in those days who'd moved away. I mean, it was really, right, today it's it's super super easy for us to still be friends with people on the other side of the world. And um, not too long ago, Pastor Bill, uh, many of you know, he, he moved with his wife to Hawaii. And it's really easy for me. We text almost every day. And you know, how's it going? I texted him the other day. I said, how's life in Hawaii? He sent me back a picture of a coconut tree. That was his answer, which I, I guess is a good thing. He's like, it's good. Life is good. I'm enjoying it. And, yeah, but that's easy. I can text him. We can FaceTime, all that kind of stuff. Wasn't so easy back, back then. So what Paul's saying is, you know, he's, Paul was saying that his commitment to them wasn't based on whether he had time or, you know, if, if he has enough emotional headroom, he'll, he'll invest in them or, you know, if it's worth his time. I mean, that, that's what it comes down to a lot of times for us. A lot of times the relationships we hold on to are the relationships that benefit us the most. We may not even realize it at times. And the relationships that are the most difficult and the most taxing are the ones we tend to let go of. And Paul says, see, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something different, a different kind of relationship. And what's a little bit lost to us in this passage is the way that it's translated in the English. So he says, it is right for me to feel this way. It's right for me to feel. And a lot of times when we, when we see that word feel, we think, you know, this, it's a, he's saying, it's right for me to be emotional. But that really doesn't give you the sense of the Greek word here. The Greek word for feel is sometimes translated as to think. Uh, it, it means literally to exercise your mind. It means to, uh, to interest yourself or your concern on another. And the idea, and this is a huge idea that we see both here and in Scripture, is this. The, that the way we think about someone determines how we feel about them. And let me say that again because this is almost the opposite of, the, of, of our culture. The way we think about someone determines how we feel about them, right? Not the, not the other way around. It's what we think. Now, our culture is different. Our culture says love is a feeling, right? Love is a feeling. Uh, that's why, and we have terminology for that. That's why people say, oh man, I just fell into love. You know, I just, I, I, I fell in love with you. It's like I was walking down the street one day. I was, I was just minding my own business and I tripped over love and I fell into it. And I, I had no control. I, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't set out to do it. It's just like, oh, I was in love. Right, now you know what comes next, right? If I can fall into love, then I can fall out of love, right? So that's what you hear. Well, what, what, what happened? What happened? Well, I don't know. I, I mean, one day I was walking along. I fell in love with them. It was great. It was crazy. It was, and, and then one day I, I fell out of love. I don't, I don't know what happened. It just kind of, it, it kind of happened. I, I don't have any control over it. it. I've noticed in our culture, you really can't question that. Have you noticed that? You can't, unless you're a jerk, you can't question that. Like if somebody comes to you and says, oh man, I just fell in love with, you know, with her. And, and have you ever had someone tell you that? And you're like, yeah, see, I don't, I don't know that it's love. <laughs> I'm not sure that it's love that you're feeling for them right now. I don't know. You, know, you can't say that to people. It just really makes people mad. And you know, how would you know? And, you know, and, but the other side is true as well, isn't it? 
Like when people are like, what happened to your relationship? Well, I just fell out of love. It's just, it's not there anymore. I just, I'm not feeling it anymore. You can't, like in, in our day, you can't say to people, really, are you sure? I, like, I, I think I'd like to press you on that. Right now you're just being a jerk. Like, what are you, well, what are you talking about? It's just love. I don't have, I don't have a choice. I, I, but that's not what Paul is saying. That's not what scripture says. Here's what scripture tells us, and here's what Paul's saying. People love with their minds. Right, that's different. We, we, you love with your mind. Love is, first of all, a, a thought. Right, that's pretty amazing when you think about it, isn't it? Right, we love with our thoughts. And what Paul's saying is, this is right. Paul says, it's right. And that word right is, is, is more, it's a moral, holy rightness. Paul says, here's the right thing. The right thing is to think like this about people. To, to, to hold on to people. It, it's a little, again, it's a little different in our world. It would... It would be like, uh, I don't, for those of you who are parents, if you've ever had like a really long day at work, long taxing hard day, and you go home and you walk in the house and everyone's waiting in a line, right? And they're like, can you, listen, li- listen to me, look, look at this. Uh, can you fix this? I need money. You know, can I have the keys to the car, whatever? Or maybe when you go to work in the morning and you walk in and first thing, can you solve this, do this, do this? And sometimes are you, you ever walk in the house and go, I just need a minute. I just, I've had a really hard day. I just need to go down in five minutes. What you mean is I need two hours and a nap. But, you're, but what you say is, I just need five minutes to collect my thoughts and stuff, right? And this is, like, I think about this with Paul. Because Paul hasn't just had a hard day at work. Paul's had a very tough four years. He's been in prison for four years. He's been suffering for four years. And yet, Paul is like, I don't need five minutes because I hold on to you in my heart. I'm always about you. I'm always thinking about you. Paul says, I'm, I'm praying for you. Uh, when I hear good things about you, I'm just rejoicing with you, even though I can't do those good things that, that you're doing. And he wrote this letter. This letter is a letter of encouragement for them. Like their lives are going swimmingly and he's in prison. And what does he say? He's like, oh, let me just encourage you. Let me just encourage you to live in the joy of the Lord. And he, Paul says, it was, it's right to be this way. It's right to hold on to other people. Paul held them in his heart. It wasn't a casual thing. It wasn't an, an accidental thing. He didn't fall into it, and he's not going to fall out of it. It was a choice. He made the choice to think about them in a way that led him to, to love them. And see, the reality is that you make little choices, little choices all day long that shape your relationships. It's the little things that you think that make your relationships what they are. It's by taking time to actually think about the people in your life. Like, that's just a starting point. How much time do you make in a day just to think about the people in your life? To think about the person you're married to? To think about your kids or your parents or your friends? How much time do you, how often do you just turn off the radio on your commute and just think about them? And, And then not just think about them, but it's how you think about them, right? How do you think about the people in your world? Because that shapes the way you feel about them. So when you think about them, is it all about like, well, how they, how they hurt you or, or what they did to you or what their issues are? Is that what you think about? Or do you think about how much God loves them and cares about them? See that? So it's, it's that we think about them that, and how we think about them shapes our relationship with them more than anything else. More than anything. It's a powerful thing. How often do we choose to to pray for them and to seek them out and to serve them 
And the key here is that we are proactive, right? We, we are loving them by choice. We are thinking about them by choice. We're not reacting on how they treat us or how we're feeling today. It's, it's proactive. So the first thing I want you to see is this. When God brings people into your life, believers into your life, when there's a connection there, Paul says you've got to hold on to them. You've got you to hold on in your heart to them. You've got to think about them and pray about them and look for ways to encourage them, even when they're difficult, even when they sin against you, even when they drift. You've got to hold on to them. And then here's the second thing that Paul says about how he loved them. He got in the trenches with them. And so I know we talked about this last week, and we'll talk about this some more. But Paul's love for them was, was fueled and stimulated by their time of serving other people together. This is what he says in verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. So there's a, I'm holding on to you. For you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. So what he's laying out here is some of the stuff we talked about last week. He says we are, we are partakers. That word partaker is the word fellowship, the word koinonia. It means a, a participating together. So he says we were in the trenches together, and there's, there's two kinds of grace that he has in mind here when he talks about this, this grace. You're partakers of me with grace. The first is what we call saving grace. So when you place your faith in Christ, you receive a gift from God. We, we talk about that. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. God gives you a gift of salvation. He takes away all your sin and makes you a child of God. Paul says we've all experienced that, so we're all, like that's one thing we have in common, saving grace of God. And some of us were better than others and had done more than others, and, and when we come to Christ, none of that matters anymore, right? Because we're all family. We have a common grace. But there's a second kind of grace he has here. There's, there's the salvation grace, and then there's what we could just call daily grace. So Paul says, we have all experienced God's goodness to us on a daily basis in the trenches of ministry. So Paul would, you know, kind of what he might say to them is, do you remember that time when uh, I, was, I was preaching out on the street and people started yelling at me and you guys came in and you defended the gospel with me? Remember that? Like, that was amazing. Remember what God did? Like, they threw rocks at us, but we escaped. It was really cool. Went and had lunch and talked about it. Remember that other time when I went to that house and I was sharing the gospel and you guys came and you were sharing the gospel and they accepted Jesus and we baptized them? Remember that? Like, like, remember when we were feeding people who were hungry? Remember that? Remember that stuff? And Paul's saying, and remember how God always showed up? Remember how he always did like crazy, amazing things? And Paul says, this is stuff that we have in common. It's, it's kind of knit our hearts together. And he talks about his imprisonment, both in his, in his imprisonment, and that word imprisonment literally means chained. So Paul was chained. Uh, he had a guard on each side chained to him, like never allowed to be alone, Just like, let that sink in for a minute, right? For four years, he's never alone. He always has someone chained to him. But the Philippians, they didn't forget about him. They, they fellowshiped with him by praying for him and, and by sending financial gifts. Um, back in those days, uh, certain kinds of prisoners didn't get food from the government. Your family and friends had to provide it. And so the Philippians would send him money so Paul could eat and have snacks and, and, and they would even go and visit him when, when, when they could. And this kind of reminds me, so uh, last weekend at the 915 service afterwards, uh, a couple came up, uh, Mike and Angie Johnson, and some of you know Mike and Angie, they're part of our congregation. This is Mike and Angie with their kids. And um, for the last four years, they have been in Indonesia serving with Missionary Aviation Fellowship. 
and they're uh, on furlough right now in town. And so Mike came up afterwards and, and we were kind of talking about Paul being in prison. And Mike said to me, he's like, you know, for the last four years we've been in Indonesia. And he's like, I feel like Paul sometimes. I'm like, I'm on the other side of the world. I'm away from my friends and from my family. And he said, you know, over the last four years, most of the team members that were there have moved or fallen away or taken other jobs and, and other people are coming in. And Mike and Angie both said, they said, sometimes it just, we feel so alone here on the other side of the world. And then Mike said, and, and when I feel alone, this is what I do. I go online and I look at the list of people from Gateway that are praying for us. And I look at the list of people who are supporting us financially. He said, and I realize that I'm not alone. And that gives me strength. And I, what made me think when he was saying that, I'm like, for those of you who are praying for them and on their prayer list and supporting them financially, I'm just saying you might not even realize how powerful that is for a husband and wife on the other side of the world who at times feel isolated. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's in prison and isolated. But he, he could feel the love and the care of the Philippians. And he talks about the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. And that, that word defense is the word apologia in the Greek or the English where we get apologetics from. It just talks about uh, giving a speech in defense of something. So Paul's just saying, you know what? Um, you guys were out with me. You were preaching the gospel, defending the gospel. And this is the kind of thing that is, has, has knit us together, has tied us together. And, and when Paul left Philippi, they, they, they didn't, bail on Paul. Uh, when he needed money, they sent it to him. When he was in prison, they went and visited him. But it made me think, I, I wonder how easily do we bail on people who we used to fellowship with, or we used to know, or we used to be in the gospel trenches with, and, and, and now we've just drifted away from them. We're not holding on to them in our heart. Sometimes it's people who live in our house, Sometimes it's people we're in a grow group with. We used to love them and hold on to them. And we're, not, we're not holding on to them anymore. We're not in the trenches with them anymore. And I see this happen. I mean, one of the things I can tell you after 25 years, uh, you'd be amazed what you can see from up here weekend after weekend. You know, I mean, I know people in our church who at one point, you know, they were, they were working in ministry together, maybe with kids or youth or men's or women's. They would sit together, couples on the weekends, and then something happened, or there was an argument, or there was a disagreement or a misunderstanding, and they begin to drift. And then maybe they sat on opposite sides of the sanctuary, and then maybe they came on different days to church, you know, and they don't really associate with, with, with each other anymore. Uh, sometimes I'll see it where you have someone in church and they have lots of friends and then they go through something really hard something really difficult maybe they're ill maybe they're sick they're not fun to be around anymore right and pretty soon people aren't seeking them out anymore it's not really beneficial anymore they're not talking anymore they're not extending the grace of God anymore there's distance you know, and then sometimes in our church, I'll see this like the ultimate act of rejection where one person unfriends another on Facebook. You know, I, I'll have like full-grown adults come to me at times and say, you know, pastor, I need, you to, I need you to get involved as a pastor. I don't know what to do. Somebody in church unfriended me, you know, uh, can you help me? And I'm, my answer is always like, no. I, I don't even remember what it's like to be in junior high. I don't, I don't, like, that's just so weird, right? Like, grow up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And the world is always coming up. The world is always coming up with causes to try to bring people together. Have you noticed that? Every weekend there's some kind of cause. And those, some of those are great. But here's the thing. The gospel is the ultimate uniter of people. 
It's because it's the thing that will last forever. The gospel unites us with a common savior, right? We all have the same savior in this room, same guy who died for us on the cross. We have the same Holy Spirit inside of us. We have the same truth. We are, we're part of the same family that will last forever. And when we get in the trenches of ministry together, it becomes this catalyst for growing our relationships. And so Paul says, yeah, like we talked about last week, that's one of the ways we grow together. Get in the trenches, serve God, serve other people together. And here's the third thing that he he says, and that is if you really want to love people, all right, if you're sitting here this morning going like, well, this is all great, holding people close and, and putting up with people, but I don't, what's missing? How come I can't do it? Paul tells us what it is. You've got to go to the source. Right? You've, you've got to go to the source. And so the, the big challenge here is, you may be thinking, how can I really love other people since most people that I know are annoying and flawed and selfish and immature, right? Let's just, don't look at the person next to you because that's awkward. But just, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm talking about. And here's what Paul says. Watch. For God is my witness. He's very strong. This is a wrong, strong statement here, right? As God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That word yearn in the Greek means like doting over somebody. I love that kind of picture, right? With the affection of Jesus Christ. That's the love of Jesus Christ. And that, that, there's, that's it right there. He gives us the whole answer. Notice, it's the affection of Jesus Christ. That he's the source what he's saying is, what Paul's saying is, I don't love other people because I'm a loving person. I love other people because God has filled me with love and so much love that it, even in prison, it's flowing out of me to other people. So, so that Paul isn't merely imitating Jesus, and this is huge. Because a lot of times, you know, I know you come to church on the weekend and you hear a sermon and they say, this is what Jesus did, now go do it. That's really not exactly what this is all about. See, he isn't merely imitating Jesus. Jesus has filled Paul with his love so that Paul is both the object of God's love and a channel of it to others. And that is what God has for you. So what God wants you to understand here is that if you have placed your faith in Christ, he loves you. And he, he has filled you up with his love from, from you know, head to, to toe completely filled, and more than you need. So much so that, and you may not believe this, but God has given you so much love that you actually have the ability in Christ to go out and love people in amazing ways that might even astound you. In John 13, 34, Jesus said this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Actually, let's do this. I'm going to have you fill in the blank for me. You're going to fill in the word love. Everywhere it comes in, we're just going to get a little Right, interactive here. Hopefully this goes better than it did in the other services. Uh, all right, so a new commandment I give to you that you... Oh, see, you guys are the A crowd, all right? That you love one another, right? Just as I have loved you and also uh, you are to love one another. So you're kind of getting the idea. There's a little theme going on here. So Jesus commands us to love each other. And he's shown us what it looks like. You know, the way it, it works out is you seek other people, uh, you put their interests first, you serve their needs, you spend time with them, you feed them, you clothe them. But Jesus is more than an example of love. He's more than an example. He's actually the source of love. And 1 John 4, 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who 
loves is born of God and knows God. So there you have it right there. It says, love one another. I've told you that before. And, and love is from God. Love comes from God. So what, put it all together. I want you to love one another. You're like, well, how do I do that? Well, love comes from God. And, and if you know God, then he loves you and you're, you have love and now you can go love other people. See how easy that is? Like, you may have come in going, people are so hard to love. And then, oh, wait, no, they're not. They're not, you know, God fills me with love. Oh, that was easy. Like, that was the easiest sermon I've ever heard. So, uh, so here's the something to do, all right? Something to know, something to do. Here's what I want you to do this week. And I could not make this easier for you. This is so easy, all right? Take a practical step. Notice I didn't tell you what it is. Any practical step. I'm going to give you some examples in a minute. Right? Take some practical steps this week to grow your affection, your love for an individual or group of believers. Super easy, all right? Like it couldn't be easier. I'm not telling you the practical step to take. You can figure out what it is. And I'm not even telling you who it is. Right? You, get to, you get to pick who it is. It, maybe it's your spouse, right? Maybe it's a, the person you're dating. Uh, maybe it's your kids, your parents. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a stranger in this room that you don't even know. Take a practical step this week to love someone. Now, you may be saying, how do I do that? What does that look like? Well, good news. Scripture's very clear about that. So in the New Testament, there's this uh, thing called the one another's. And I, I, I always bring this up at least a couple of times a year. And I made, a, I made a document years ago where I looked up all the one another statements in Scripture. There's 56, 57, depending on how you count them. There's a whole debate there, but oh, we won't get caught up in that. 56, 57, one another statements about how we are to live with, with each other. So on the back of your notes, I've listed a few. I didn't list 57, so don't worry about that. Um, but I'm always looking for an opportunity to talk about the one another's, and they're very important for us today because it kind of gives us some examples. So you may say, well, so how should I love someone this week? Here's just a couple of quick examples. You could do it by um, just accepting someone else. Being accepting. Now, in Romans 15, 7, it says this. Therefore, accept. That word means welcome, actually. Just kind of welcome in. It's written to Jews about, Greek, uh, about um, Gentiles. And the Jews and Gentiles weren't getting along. And the Jews thought that the Gentiles were weird and smelled bad and all that kind of stuff. And they were just like, hey, you know, accept them. Gentiles, that's like us. All right. Accept them. Um, accept one another. Right? No, notice the beauty here, the symmetry. Accept one another. Well, that's, that's hard. Have you met some of the people in my life? Yeah, well, just as Christ accepted us. Right? That's, where it, that's where it comes from. So there are going to be people in your life who are different from you. You notice that? They're not, they're not like you. They're, maybe they're immature. They're not the, the towering spiritual giant that you are. They're not quite where you are yet. They're, they're, not, they're not there. And what he says is, well, be accepting of them. Right? Have a little, have a little patience with them. Some of the people in your life have sin issues. Yeah. They, they, they dress differently. They vote differently. They, 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 they culturally, they're different than you. They listen to different music. They have some musical issues they need to work through. They like country music or something like that. And so they got to work that through. Yeah, I, that didn't get a laugh in any service. I don't know why. Um, like, you know, uh, maybe, the, maybe, they were, maybe they were on the, a different side of the recent teacher strike. I mean, man, la uh, this morning and last night, the, this room went dead silent when I said that. <laughs> I was like, hey, I tell you what, as a pastor, was, that, that was really, really challenging. It was really hard to be on Facebook and see people in our congregation making statements about the other side that were just mean and vindictive. It was hard. 
as a pastor. And I didn't actually, there were, I, I sent some back channel messages to some people. Like, you know, there were people who were saying, you know, oh, well, teachers are just selfish and greedy and that's why they're on strike. And other people were saying administrators are ungodly and selfish and, and they need to get their act together. And I had to write a couple of emails to people like, you know, saying, oh, well, you know that like they're administrators, um, in fact, a superintendent that go to your church. Like, did you know that? So when you said like they're all ungodly and going to hell, you realize, right, that like they're in the same service as you? Like that's a sister in Christ. And people who are, you know, uh, saying, well, teachers are terrible people and obviously selfish. And I had to write some of them and say, you know, there's a lot of teachers in our church that love God and they love people. I, I, my view is very simple. People come up to me and say, you know, what's the church's, you know, what's, what side are we taking on this? I'm like, I don't know. We're taking God's side on this, right? I mean, I would say this. It's, I, if God leads someone to strike, my wife's a teacher. If God leads someone to strike, I'd say just remember that Christians do it differently, right? We're not mean. We're not vindictive. We realize that there may be times when there are people different from us, take a different side than us. We still must love them. We still must accept them. We still must welcome them. We need to do it differently. All right, it was super awkward in the other services, so I'll just move on, okay? Uh, here's the next one. Like, <laughs> um, serve one another, right? That's an easy one. Serve other people. So uh, in First Peter it says this, as each one of you has received a special gift. That's, every one of you have unique abilities. Some of you are good at math. Some of you are good with mechanical stuff. Some of you are musical. Um, some of you are not. Um, and he says in, in employ it in serving each other, right? God gives you a gift. Use it to serve other people as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Um, he goes on and says, you know, whoever serves as one who serves, notice this, by the strength that God supplies. In other words, God has given every one of you a gift to, to use to serve other people. So that would be one way to love your husband, your wife, your kids, your friends this week, you know, your significant other. Serve them. Take something that you're really good at and use it to serve them. Here's another one. Just practice unity. Uh, in Ephesians 4, uh, 2, it says, With all humility and gentleness in your relationships, with patience, bear with one another. Bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So God has given each one of us the Holy Spirit, and he's given us a, a unity together. When there's no unity, it's because we broke it, right? It's because we messed with it. What he's saying here is when you do that, and that happens. That happens in relationships, even in the best relationships. He's like, just don't leave it there. Don't leave it there. Go make it right. Go get together, forgive one another, love one another, practice unity. Is there somebody in your life this week with whom there's some, there's some distance, there's some tension, and you need to make it, you need to make it, make it right? It's kind of like the next one. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive. Be kind to one another. Be, be tenderhearted. Notice forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Uh, you understand that in order for you to have a relationship with Jesus, he had to forgive you for a lot of stuff, didn't he? He had to overlook a lot of stuff. He had to die for a lot of stuff. And you may say, you know, but you don't, you don't know what that person did to me. Whenever I preach about forgiveness, I always have at least one person on a weekend who comes up and says, yeah, I, I generally agree with forgiving, but if you knew what he did to me, if you knew what she said to me, and I, my answer is always the same, like, I don't know what they did to you, but I know what you did to, to Jesus. <laughs> I know what I did, right? We sinned against him and nailed him to a cross. I'm guessing that what they did to you wasn't that bad. 
And if God can forgive us, we can, we can forgive one another. Uh, practice other-centeredness, um, right? He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourself. Look out for the interests of others, right? So who, who is there in your life this week where you need to be, you need to look out for them this week? You need, you need to put their interests first this week. Somebody who you need to do that for. A last one is just practice hospitality. Now, there's a lot more, but, you know, opening up your home to someone. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to hire a caterer and uh, entertainment to come in. Uh, maybe you can just invite them over for Diet Coke. If it's me, that's all, you know, that's all it takes. And just sit down and just have some fellowship together. Because quite frankly, it's not usually the great big huge things we do for people that make a difference in their life. It's a little stuff. So we're going we're gonna to close with communion here and, and be done. But I'm just going to the guys to go back and, and grab uh, communion. And they're going to pass out the bread and pass out the cup. And if you've placed your faith in Christ, I, I invite you to just grab one of each of those and hold on to it. We'll take communion and we'll be done. Um, but let me just, while the guys are passing this out, let me just share a story with you to kind of make this point about sometimes it really isn't the big things that we do. It's a little stuff that we do for one another. Uh, so I, I grew up in a non-Christian home when I, when I was um, a freshman in high school. Uh, I became a Christian. And uh, I lived in Orange County, California, up in the hills. And I was 15. I didn't have, um, didn't have a driver's license yet. Couldn't really get around. My family wasn't thrilled with me being a Christian. Didn't want to take me to church, so I'd have to I had to figure out a way to get to church. And there was a little church nearby where we lived, a little Baptist church. So I started going to that church. And uh, at that church, they had a youth pastor, like, like we have a youth pastor. And then um, they had some um, college-age students that were just volunteering and helping out in, in the youth department. So guys, you can come forward and pass those out. And, um, and so I was going to this church, and there was a youth, there was a guy there, a college-age student who was going to, to college, and his name was Frank, Frank Patka. And um, Frank was a youth worker, and one day uh, after church, he was talking to my best friend Paul and I. And Frank said, hey, uh, maybe next Saturday you guys want to go out? Like, we can just go. Um, he's, so we went to, he's like, let's go to Maranatha, Maranatha Village. So if, you, if you're familiar with Orange County, there was this place called Maranatha Village. It was, it was a place where you went and you bought music. They had Christian music there. You buy cassettes. Like cassettes, I like, don't even have a cassette player anymore, but you would go buy cassettes and you would listen to Christian music and they sold books and that kind of stuff. So we went to, went to Maranatha Village. He said, came, picked us up. I mean, I'm a freshman in high school. A guy's like, hey, you want to go out and have some food and listen to music? Like, yeah, I'm all in, right? So he came, picked Paul and I up, went, spent some time at Maranatha Village, bought some music, bought a few books, went to the beach, um, had some lunch, talked about life. And really, Frank was the first guy. So I had only been a Christian for months. And Frank was the first guy to ever say, you know, I know you weren't raised in the church. I, I know you, this whole Christianity thing is new to you. But Frank said to me, he's like, you know, if you would just really fully surrender yourself to Christ, I think you will be amazed what God can do in your life. God could use even you. That was, that was the first person who ever said that to me. God could use even you. And I remember by the end of the day believing that. I remember, in fact, so much so that I went home that day, I opened up my Bible, and I still have this Bible, and I wrote Frank's name, and I wrote a little bit about what we talked about. Because it was that, that was the first day of my life where I actually believed that God might have a future for me. He might have a plan for me. And that changed my life. Right. Now, um, eventually, uh, I ended up going to another church. I lost uh, touch with Frank.
Uh, went to Phoenix, went to college, moved to the Northwest. Now, 18 years later. So 18 years later, I haven't talked to Frank. I'm no, I have no idea where he is or anything. And I'm at a conference, and I'm, I'm going to be speaking at this conference. And uh, it's the first day of the conference, the first evening, and they're introducing the speakers. And I, I guess I hadn't really looked over the literature. And um, so I was waiting in the wings to be uh, invited on the stage to introduce me and say a few words. And while I'm waiting on the wings, they're introducing the next guy. So he's coming up, and um, I'm like thinking, that guy looks really familiar. Like, I don't know. He looks familiar. And then they introduce him, and they're like, this is Frank, Frank Packa. And I was, I was... I couldn't believe it. I'm, I haven't talked to him in 18 years, and I'm standing there on the side looking at him like my jaw's open. I can't, we're speaking at the same conference, and I, I haven't, so I'm just like, I'm so excited. I can't wait to talk to him. And then they, they, they finish, and they introduce me, and I come up, and he's on the stage like with his jaw on the ground. He sees me. I see him, and we just hug each other, and we're talking. The whole audience is like, I don't know what's going on here, and like, you know, and we're talking everything, and then afterwards, we get off the stage and I'm like we're just like so excited to see each other and so finally I tell him I'm like man and he can't he said the same thing everybody uh said when I was in high school they're like everyone still says the same thing I cannot believe you're a pastor like that's the craziest thing I've ever heard and he says and I so I said to him I'm like no I said do you remember that day and I think it was October and uh, I was a freshman and you took Paul and I out for the day do you remember that because that changed my life and he's like yeah no I have no recollection of that <laughs> he's like, no, I don't remember anything about that. Are you sure it was me? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure it was you. I wrote it in my Bible. I was like, yeah, no, no, I don't, I, sorry, I, I don't remember it. And here's a takeaway, right? Sometimes it's not the great, big, huge things that we do for people that change their life. Sometimes it's just making the daily choice to just do the small thing, to just do the kind thing, to just do the forgiving thing. The fact that Frank doesn't remember it at all is actually really cool because that tells you a lot about Frank. Right, you have the opportunity right now, today, to love people in such a way that 18 years from now, maybe they'll say to you, do you remember when you did that? And you'll say, yeah, no, I have no recollection. Because it'll just, it'll just describe the person that you've become in Christ. Let me pray for us.